Shabbos Dabutes permitted to feed your own dog on Shabbos and you're allowed to give a poor non-Jew food enough for a meal we're not concerned that they might take the food out of your shus, out of your domain and it'll look as if they're doing your shlichos and you don't have to prevent them you're allowed to rent your kalim your, your different tools to a non-Jew on Wednesday, Thursday but you're not allowed to do so on Friday because it looks as if you're renting it to him specifically for Shabbos sending something with a guy Sending a letter is much different than sending anything else. Because a letter, as the Mishnah Guru explains, has the writing of the Jew, and everybody could tell it's coming from a Jew. Therefore, there are the following halachas. If you're sending it on Wednesday, Thursday, it seems like for most Rishonim, that's mutter. Although Rabbi Yaisi HaKoyen, or some say it was Rabbi Yaisi HaChasid, he's machmar himself, and he never sent a letter in the hands of a non-Jew, even on Sunday, Monday. If you stipulate a fee, and now the non-Jew is acting on his own terms. According to Beis Hillel, you're allowed to send it even on Erev Shabbos. And according to Bishamai, you're not. Now, on Erev Shabbos, if there was no fee stipulation, and there's no dayar, dayar means the mayor of the city, but it really means that the receiver of the letter has a permanent address. Where the guy will most likely find the receiver won't have to travel any further distance. If you don't have those two reasons, then it's usur to send the letter Erev Shabbos. However, if in a case where there is doyar, the person does have a permanent address. Now you didn't stipulate the fee. According to Bishamai, it's okay as long as the messenger, the guy, could reach his destination. And according to Basil, he doesn't need to re- reach his destination. As long as he reaches the first house by the city wall, that's okay, because he can put it down there, and if he decides to go on his own any further, that's on his own term. Now, Allah is, one should not embark a ship three days before Shabbos. There are five reasons given. Mishavru brings them down, and Reish Ches. Two of them are brought here. Taisa says, because it's similar to swimming. And Rabbi Nechanal says, because it takes three days to overcome seasickness, it's not proper to go into Shabbos while one is sick. But for Dvar Mitzvah, it's mutter to embark the ship even less than three days before Shabbos. According to Rebbe, you must go over to the captain of the ship and stipulate with him and say, I'm only embarking the ship on condition that you stop on Shabbos. And the captain says, okay, and of course he laughs at the guy and doesn't stop, and that's okay as well. Rabbi Shem Gamliel says you don't have to go through the whole stipulation process, it's good without talking to the captain of the ship. A very short trip that you know you're going to reach your destination before Shabbos, you're allowed to embark the ship even on Arab Shabbos. You're not allowed to make a siege on a city less than three days before Shabbos, but if you start, you're allowed to continue. Bishamai says the reason is it says in the Pasuk, Ad Ridita, until you decimate your enemy. That means even on Shabbos. There was once a launderer who wanted to charge Abaya the same amount of money for colored laundry like for white laundry. He says, Abaya, I know. What tricks you're up to? I learned. The Rav Shem said that his father never gave white laundry to launderer less than three days before Shabbos. In other words, it's much more difficult to do white laundry than colored laundry. And therefore, the price should not be the same. Abai says, before you give your laundry into the launderer, always measure it before and measure it when it comes back in case he decided to shrink your clothing or stretch your clothing. We learned that Bisham I hold that you're not allowed to start a process before Shabbos in something that's awesome in their rights to do on Shabbos itself. Therefore, when Bishami say, 
it's mutter to crush your grapes on Shabbos, to put heavy loads on them, the heavy beams and stones on your grapes and olives on Shabbos, the before Shabbos. That is because on Shabbos it's not an Isidur Isa. Who does that go according to? The Gemara brings two shitas. It can either go according to Rabbi Shmuel who holds that once you start the process of crushing non-mature grapes before Shabbos, you allowed to continue on Shabbos. And Rabbi Kiva argues that's problematic because Rabbi Yehuda says that Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi, and, and Rabbi Shmuel both agree that since it's missing crushing, it's also to do on Shabbos. So there's another shita. The Gemara brings the Amira Rebbe Lazar says in the name of the Tana Rebbe Lazar that once you start crushing a honeycomb and the honey starts oozing out, you're allowed to continue the process in Shabbos and benefit from the honey, and it's not, we're not concerned about schita on Shabbos. That would be the same as in our Mishnah, that you're allowed to, once you start crushing the grapes before Shabbos, you're allowed to continue on Shabbos. Although it's slightly problematic because honey starts out as a salad and ends up as a salad. They're both foods, whereas grapes are a salad and you make them into liquid. However, that's not such a problem because Rabbi Lazar himself is brought down in a brice as saying this exact same halacha, as he said, by honey, he says it regarding grapes as well. Yosef Rechanina says that halacha is like Rabbi Shmuel that says you're allowed to put a heavy beam or a stone on grapes and olives that are not, that are not completely ripe and on garlic. There's a famous machloik in Mesef Shabbos. Im yesh muktzor, ein muktzor. Reb Shimon holds ein mukta, meaning you don't have to be so stringent on the Hilchas mukta in certain regards. And Reb Yehuda says yesh mukta. Rab Paskins like Reb Yehuda, there is mukta. You have to be more stringent. And Shmuel Paskins like Shmuel, you don't have to be stringent. The Gemara brings here four nafkeminas. One case is if you have these reeds that you use in your olive press, the olive press doesn't work on Shabbos, so these reeds are mukta according to Rab, and they're not mukta according to Shmuel. If you set aside olive oil for your worker, it's his salary. So, according to Rav, the olive oil becomes muktzah. According to Shmuel, it's not muktzah. A tarp for your merchandise on your boat, according to Rav, the tarp is muktzah. According to Shmuel, it's not muktzah. You're allowed to shut an animal on Shabbos, on Yantif. What if the animal was designated for milk, for eggs, for plowing, or even fruit? You have dates that are designated for commerce, for commercial use. So you set it aside before Shabbos. According to Rav, they are mukta. You're not allowed to change your mind and try to shuck this animal or use these dates on Yantif. Why? Since you set them aside and you didn't have mind to use them when Shabbos came in, you're not allowed to use it for the rest of the Shabbos. There was a Talmud that decided to paskin the halacha like like Rabbi Shimon, even though the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon, he passed him like Rabbi Shimon and they put him in Kherim. Why? Because the story happened in a city where Rav was the Rav, and therefore they put him in Kherim. This is Machlaikis, and two Talmidim decided to pass him on their own. In what way do you save food from a fire when you're in a place that has an Eruv Chatseris? One paskin that you have to take, as ma- you can take as many meals as you want as long as you put it into one vessel. And the other one said, you could take as many vessels as you want, full of food, as long as they fit into one vessel. And then tomorrow we're going to discuss the Mishnah of Ein Tzoylen Basar Batzal Beitzah. Have a wonderful day.